so by now we should be in kind of the groove of the series from the last few months that God per- perfectly designed us with a body that can live on earth, a spirit that would be recreated in Christ, and we could live from heaven to earth and not the other way around, that heaven can be our home that we bring on earth in our prayers on earth as it is in heaven. And our soul is very much the computer that navigates us around and the emotions that connect us with life and our will in which we make decisions. And we looked last week at the role the Spirit of God plays in our life. As Do you remember the three key points, which was living in accord with the Spirit, playing, you know, living in accord with the Spirit? We don't then follow after the lust of the flesh, because we're not in first Adam, we are in last Adam. And then to set our minds on things above is an act of the will to set like a block of concrete our minds on things above and then we won't be drawn into the first Adam life of belief, but we will continue in the last Adam Christ. And then the third one was Did you forget? Uh, there was a third one. Set your minds. Walk. Walk in the Spirit. Galatians. Walk. Like I illustrated with my grandson, Logan. As we learn to walk, we ask questions. We have a relationship. And that's how the Holy Spirit wants us to renew our minds out of fallen Adam and the picture we had in our brain to be renewed in the Spirit as we walk in, as we play in the same chord, as we set our mind on things above, where Christ is seated. Amen? So I kind of, you know, like I told you last week, you get to hear it for 30 minutes, but it like lingers with me the whole week. And I came out of Sunday going, okay, now how does, how does this practically work out? And I started thinking about the disciples, and so I went through the, the Gospels, and I started looking and finding how normal this was in the life of Jesus. This was like everyday normal living for Jesus. He had the Holy Spirit of that measure. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and He's going to baptize you. To be baptized means fully immersed. And the Spirit of God lives in us. Jesus is no longer limited to being at one place at one time like He was in the Gospels. He's now wherever you are. And it's not looking back at the Gospels as the historical Jesus. What did he do? Oh, let's give him a little applaud. No, it's Jesus alive and well and walking with Jesus today. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. Walking with Jesus today. And I've got a few scriptures I'll take you through. The first one is from, I'll get to it now. When you're confronted with a situation that's out of your control. Now, I know that's not referring to any of you because your life is perfectly in control. But just hypothetically, 
Let's say something is out of your control. For example, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he curtsies and he says, Good master, how can I receive eternal life? In Mark chapter 10. Jesus says, well, you know what the law says. And the young man says, he jumps up, this is his moment. I've kept the law. I've kept all this. I've done this. And Jesus sees through all this. I've done. I've done. I've kept. I've kept. And he wants this man to turn to him in full trust. And the way he does that is he sees that this man's riches are an issue. And he says, go and sell, then come and follow me. But I love the word inserted in John. It said, Jesus looked at him and loved him. You see, Jesus is not looking at those that are struggling to keep the law. With, he's not angry with them. He knows that was best they had in first Adam. It was the best they had to preserve them and to keep them from total detestable practices. But they started relying on it for righteousness and right standing with God. And Jesus came to bring the new covenant into its fullness, into its place of complete fulfillment. And he's, anybody loves this man. He lo- you know, sometimes with the Pharisees, I don't know, I'm sure he still loved them, but he loved them in a different way. The Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, he was pretty blatant with them. But he has a situation that's impossible. Jesus loves him enough enough to say, come and live a life of faith. Religion's not going to do it for you. And you know, whatever impossible situation you find now, you're in. Like Jesus' disciples come to him and say, but then who can be saved? If it's so difficult for a rich man to be saved that he can't, that it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. If, if, if it's impossible, who, which rich people can be saved? And what is Jesus' answer? What's impossible with man will be possible with God. Any situation that presents itself, we don't have to rely on our effort as this young ruler was. But we can come to Jesus in full trust, whatever that means, because what's impossible for man is is possible for God. Whatever impossibility you're facing right now is a possibility for God. The second thing I want to say on this topic is, have you ever felt nothing good can come from this? This is like the worst thing that's ever happened in my life. Like just disappointment. Didn't get that job promotion. You know, children leave home and go overseas and you're left with an emptiness. And It's like, I mean, there's this one occasion in Luke chapter 9 where this father has a son that the son keeps having fits. So the father brings the son. And he's hoping Jesus would heal him. But Jesus doesn't heal him. Jesus kills him. Because <laughs> it says in the scripture that Jesus prayed for him. He sh- the demon shrieked. The boy fell down as dead so that everybody around him saw a corpse. Thanks, Jesus. 
I mean, how's it going for you, really? I mean, yeah, we thought, you know, we've heard all these testimonies and stories about you. It's like, it's just got worse. Uh, and Jesus leans over and lifts him up. You see, he is able to turn around even what we see as a negative thing in our lives. A disappointment. An emptiness. I've got a testimony. When you hear testimony. So now, the build-up to my kids leaving the country was emotional. Saying goodbye at the airport was tough. But here we are on the phone the other night. In six weeks, they've been there. They've got a little home. They're renting a flat, which is not easy to just get into the system. They're getting on to the medical care thing in the UK. They got given a motor car. They virtually gave all their stuff away here. And we were like, Rain, is this because you're just too lazy to sell it? Or, no, 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 God's going to provide for us. So they literally gave their stuff away, virtually gave us their car, except I have to keep paying for it. Gets, gets a car, they got... I mean, the kids' school is walking distance down the road. It looks like, like, like a celebrity school. It's so posh and neat and clean and first world and electronic. And my little grandson last night was showing us he can already write in cursive. You know, four years old, five. I mean, it's just like acceleration at every level. They went for interviews and sent their CVs out. They get a reply back. They both got accepted in jobs. But that's not the best part. The best part is at the same company. So they will get to walk the kids to school, walk home in time to get in the car to go to work. And like that's not good enough. On their day off, they're sitting at a, having a cup of coffee, celebrating, and they hear Christians talking. You know, we know Christianese, eh? You can pick it up. They find out what church do you go to? Oh, it's called Grace Family Church. Oh, have you heard of Joseph Prince? Oh, we love Joseph Prince. In a Grace Church, they go along there and they just love this community. I'm like, I want your life. <laughs> now I'm happy with my life. But suddenly, out of a thing that looked like was going to leave so much emptiness, now has brought so much fulfillment. And joy. And yes, you go for it. If ever I see you coming back, I'm going to kick your butt all the way back there. Because where God guards, God provides. And He can turn what you're looking at right now as an impossible situation. And He can turn it around. He once said to His disciples, Anyone who's left family for me or the kingdom shall receive a hundredfold in this life. Yes, the context there was his disciples being out on a mission trip. And he was saying, yeah, you've left all that, but you will receive a hundred. Don't give up. I can turn this around because nothing is impossible with God. Thirdly, have you ever been in a situation where you feel like this situation is never going to change for me? I can tell you from the book of Mark, there was a lady who got to this point where she said, 
It's just not going to change. 18 years, I've been to doctors. 18 years, I've spent all my money. And she said, this is it. I've heard of this Jesus. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to touch him. And Jesus feels this tug on his faith, on power going from him in this crowd of people. Who touched me? You know what touched him? Was a desperate woman who knew she didn't have to tolerate this situation anymore because she was a daughter of Abraham. And Jesus said to her, you're healed, daughter of Abraham. She took hold of her covenant. She reached into the future and she took her healing from Jesus. The conversation on the road to Emmaus, once again, situations never going to change. The Romans are going to keep oppressing us. The politics are against us. The economy is against us. We thought this Jesus was going to come and set us free. And Jesus finds these two men walking on the road. And he goes over to them. He says, what are you talking about? And he says, they say, where have you been that you don't know what's going on? It's all fallen to pieces. We thought this man was going to be our new ruler and our king and the champion of our life. And he's gone. He's dead. They killed him. Have you ever felt like that? Something you were hoping. Well, the promise from God to you is even that can come to pass. And Jesus sits down and he explains to them from the scripture. Their hearts burned within them. Point number three. You can see at school I wasn't very ambidextrous. I'm not so good at this. <laughs> Because some, some things appear dead, like that young boy. But Jesus was able to turn it around. The next point. This is just from my personal life, a habit I'm trying to practice. If I'm going to walk with Jesus um, authentically, so if I'm going to walk with Jesus in a way that's really walking with Jesus every day, not just reading about the historical Jesus, but if I'm going to wake up in the morning and go, Lord, I know I'm facing this difficult thing, but I know with you nothing's impossible. It can turn. Lord, I know I've been disappointed, but I know this is going to come to pass and you're going to fill my emptiness with joy. If I wake up and I act like a disciple that's walking with Jesus, what am I doing? I'm living from heaven to earth. I'm grabbing onto what is true about me in my spiritual reality, and I'm saying, I'm living like that on earth because as he is, so am I in this world. And Jesus said, now, nah, he never leaves us and never forsakes us. So he can't be closer than that. We don't pray to a Jesus that's far off out there somewhere. We pray to a Jesus who's really upfront and personal and walking with him today is the same as the disciples walking with him 2,000 years ago. It shouldn't be any different. If it's different, then we've missed something. You hear? Our minds are still unrenewed. We're living in a historical first Adam. We're not living in a transformed, I'm seated in Christ, and now I get to live out of that. So, so, so this is just a practice I, I'm, I'm trying to develop. If that's true, I don't think there was ever a boring day in the lives of the disciples. 
Just think about what it must have been like. What's he going to do today? Is he going to spit on the ground and rub it all over a man's face again? I mean, hey, Jesus, you know? Is he going to call one of us out of a boat and have us half drowned before the end of the day is over? It's, it's, I don't think they were boring days. But in every one of those situations, there was something new to be learned. Like when the disciples couldn't heal that boy that was possessed by a demon. Jesus comes down and he finds the Pharisees arguing with them over this boy's condition. And then the dad says to Jesus, please help. These guys, they've been praying, but nothing's happening. And it says that the, the, the teachers of the law were arguing with the disciples. And Jesus says, oh, you, you faithless generation. Oh, you, how long am I going to have to be on this planet with you? <laughs> I think Jesus just was like, when are you going to get it? And he casts the demon out. And then disciples come to him afterwards. Wow, Lord, how did you do that? And he says, I was praying. What? We were also praying. Yeah, you know, well, you can either pray like you're begging God to do something for you, or you can pray out of your covenant, which is you telling the demon to go when it should go. And he's teaching them a whole new principle, taking them to a whole new level of prayer. What do you think happened in their lives? They just learned something. Every day with Jesus was an opportunity to learn something. When they never understood the parables, what did they say to him? Teach us. What does this parable mean? When Peter was in the boat and Jesus dared him to get out, what did, people do? What did Peter do? He got out, started walking, but you know he took his eyes off Jesus, and we know the, some of that story. But he could have just kept walking, and hey, what something fantastic could have happened. That could have gone like feet surfing over the waves. Like doing 360s over the waves and you know, having a bit of fun in the water. Now, I know that's hard for you to believe. Because Jesus is very reverent. No time for fun. Fishermen who were illiterate became world-changing evangelists. Tax collectors that were shunned by the Jewish community became missionaries. Peter has the revelation as a unskilled, illiterate fisherman that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let me tell you, whatever you're facing is an opportunity for you to learn something new. Just wake up every day and say, I'm literally doing that. It's in my life to do today. I'm, I'm very like, I ain't all about things like that. Um, A-type or whatever, but I've got it in my to-do list today you will learn something new. And it's amazing. It changes your outlook on so many things. It's not like, oh, no, this tap is still dripping. It's like, okay, how am I going to learn how to stop it? It's like if I'm driving down the road and I get a puncture and I don't know how to change a tire, I'll learn something new. I'll phone Steve Pilbro and say, come and help change my... I wouldn't do that. I'll phone AA, okay? The point is, if we just complain and grumble and murmur about 
every challenge, every difficulty, every hardship, we miss the opportunity to learn something wonderful. If Peter hadn't listened to Jesus to throw the net on the other side, amen? It's always too soon to just throw up your hands and give up. It's always too soon. I'm looking through Mark and I see that amazing story in chapter 2 with a paraplegic brought to the house, but the house is full. They can't get inside. How do they solve the problem? You see, there is a solution to the problem. Sometimes you don't have it. You don't have the solution. But the others around you have it. So what do they do? They put him on a stretcher, pick him up to the roof, make a hole and drop him down. I mean, how cool is that? You see, sometimes you don't have the solution to your problem. Sometimes it is there. It's just got to be someone to bounce you and, and come up with the solution. Other times it's in other people. It's not in you. We aren't inter-independent. We are interdependent. There are gifts here that I don't have, that you don't have, that are beneficial to us because we depend on one another. How do you know there's not four people waiting to help you get onto a roof and get down right to the feet of your solution? It's always too early to throw up our hands and say, I give up. Because there's always a solution in us or in others. When the disciples saw hungry people, Jesus saw one little boy with a few fish and a few loaves. What is our solution, Lord? He said, just tell them to sit down first. When Peter pulled in such a large catch into his boat, the Bible says the boat was sinking, and he shouted out to his friends, help me, you boats, come, I'm sinking. And they were all going, what are you thinking about? <laughs> help, I'm sinking. What you what you thinking about? We cannot understand you. I'm sinking. I'm sinking. I'm sinking. Okay, okay, you get it. Bible, the German didn't get it. Eventually the boats come over. It says a whole lot of boats came and helped. How do you know? You try to pull something in and it's impossible. But there is a solution and there is an answer in someone else around you. They're carrying the fish and the bread. They're carrying a few nets in their boats. They are the answer to your prayer. And they're going to get you through the roof and into the middle of your solution. Can you believe that? So not only are you learning something new every day, but you're learning to draw on other people. When I need to let off some steam, because I'm emotionally on the edge, I phone Richard. He's a great guy to just ventilate over. He's just got big shoulders. If I need something done properly on time and very, very efficiently, I phone Steve. I won't tell you which Steve, because they're all the same. If I need, if we're doing an apostolic outreach next year, and we've got pastors from all over the country coming to Durban, and Rob and Glenn are going to be with us, I get hold of Terry, and I say, Terry, help me plan this and put this together. If I need my wife brought under correction, and disciplined and, 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 and put kind of in, in her, her uh, 
her, 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 I wouldn't say her place, because I'm talking tongue-in-cheek. I'll phone Louise, okay? <laughs> She'll do it gently. But my wife, how, when last did I phone you? Like, for 20 years ago, so I rest my case. Just got, I got out of that one well. But point is, you don't always have the answer to your problem. But God knows who does have the answer to your problem. So why don't you live a lifestyle of, not only am I going to learn new things myself, but I'm going to learn to depend on some other people around me. Isn't that awesome? Okay, second, second last one. There's an old covenant mentality which causes people still to run away from their concept of God. You know, like we saw in the garden, Adam failed. God said, when you sin, you will die. It means his whole mind shifted towards his knowledge of God. And instead of running to God, he runs away from God. What happens when Peter denies Jesus? Which way does he run? The Bible says, when Peter had denied Jesus and he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran a, he fleed. Human nature is to run away when you've made a mistake, when you've done something wrong. When, but you know, that's old covenant thinking. Old covenant is, I've done something wrong, I need to run away from God before he finds out or before he catches me. So let's go find some bushes. Let's go find some leaves. Maybe he won't find us there. Who says God wasn't ready to do exactly what Jesus wanted to do with Peter and restore him. And how does Jesus restore him? He says, in the, now the new covenant has started with this side of the line. He says, till Peter, till the disciples are risen and Peter. Then he meets with Peter and says, do you love me? That's all he wanted. And Peter's restored and becomes mighty man of God. You see, running away isn't the solution. Running towards is. So whatever you're going through right now and you say, man, I, look, I'll do the church stuff later. I'll do the praying stuff later. Right now, this is my problem and I need... You know what you're doing? You're running away from God. Running to God means, sure, I'm just going to humble myself, admit my failures, my mistakes, my because Lord... None of them were a surprise to you anyway. And I'm going to run towards you. Come to my last scripture this morning. Just before I give it to you. Listen to the falling rain. Listen to the falling rain. Be refreshed. Be refreshed. Even in your spirit now. Even as you're sitting there. Be refreshed. Because living with Jesus today means we can live from a position of heaven that nothing's impossible. That He can turn everything around for the good in our life. And whatever it is, It'll come to pass. It's not going to be forever. Ultimately, it will come to pass. 
And hey, you get to learn new things and you get to depend on this beautiful family around you. This last point, you, you may remember the story also in the book of Mark where uh, in around chapter 14, a uh, woman comes in and she's got perfume. It's worth a lot of money. And she saved this up because she's waiting for her moment. She's waiting for the moment of her ministry to come into fulfillment. And it's in the shape of a bottle. And she goes in and she pours this perfume. And the people around are indignant because this money could have been sold for a lot of money. How does Jesus respond? He sees beyond all that outward stuff. And he sees a woman doing what was delighting her heart. That brought joy to her. She didn't do it out of necessity or compulsion. She didn't do it out of guilt. She did it because it was just an expression of her worship and her love and her, it made her happy. Man, you know those things you do that make you happy? No one? <laughs> those things that make you happy, it's like, it's like Jesus saw that and he said, leave her alone. What she's done is beautiful. And I'm going to put a cherry on the cake. And I'm going to declare wherever this gospel is preached, she will be mentioned. You can read that in John chapter Mark 14. And, and I'll give you the scripture before the point because it'll make more sense. No, not that one. For years I felt guilty about doing some things I enjoyed because I didn't have a scripture. <laughs> You're going to understand in a moment. Be calm. She didn't read in the Old Testament, thou shalt take a bottle of perfume and thou shalt go and anoint Messiah's feet. And I spent a lot of my life, and we spent a lot of our life, and in the ministry you spend a lot of your life, always feeling slightly guilty about doing something that makes you too happy. Glad no one knows what I'm talking about yet. One time Jesus says to his disciples, we've been ministering a lot. Come, let's go chill somewhere. You know, you've got to sometimes give yourself permission to chill. My wife tells me I wasn't a great dad because I was always busy. I'm a better grandfather because I don't take myself so seriously. But life is like that. And whatever business you're in, it can gobble you up. And you live with this kind of guilt that you're not doing enough to see people saved and healed. and Of course we want that. But you know that God also takes delight in seeing you doing something else that you enjoy. I don't get the PlayStation thing. I must be honest. But I do know Jesus said, guys, let's go chill. Let's just have some time out. We've been busy. Let's go and have some fun. Come on, Peter. Let's go practice your water walking. Or, or Andrew, bring out your chess set. These guys have never played chess. Let's do something. Peter, put your monopoly away. It's for children, please. Uh, James and John were like, yo, let's play rugby. But can we each be on each side of you in the mall? It'll take a moment. Simon brings out his cards and says, let's play rummy. But Judas says, no, let's rather play poker. And then, of course, Thomas 
doubted he could do any of those things. I'm allowed to have a little bit of fun when I prepare a sermon, okay? But what's true here is that so often we think that Jesus' life is a solemn, straight-faced, up-tight-lipped life of sacrilege, whatever. And we don't look between the lines of when things happened and he saw the joy of his disciples when they came back from a mission trip. Because, of course, there's lots of joy to be found in going out on a mission trip. I want to tell you, I've always found a testimony when people return and they say, man, that turned my life around. They did that and it brought joy to them. One of our pastors in Pretoria used to say, when you stop finding joy in the ministry, leave, quit. Because if it's not a joy, then what are you doing? And you know, that can be true in many areas of life. That doesn't mean you don't have a bad day. That doesn't mean you don't have what. But it means you're allowed to also have fun. I kid you not. I've taken up bowling. I mean, I feel guilty because at that time I could be hand, knocking on doors and handing out tracks, but and I'm, get, I'm starting to get the move. I'm starting to get the, really, my backswing is coming. Guys are starting to say, mm, you're ready for competition. Took my family there for the bra on Friday night. Total different people. And guess what? Don't tell anyone, but one of them swear. So it's not like being in church. But something in me loves it. I just, the, some of these people are so real. I, and I know, you see, you all work in those environments. So you know what I'm talking about. You get to do that all week. I just get to hang with a bunch of people who want to know what's the third horn on the dragon's head in the book of Revelations. Oh, we'll have a bit of fun. I think we're going to get to heaven and get a surprise. Are we chatting to Jesus in a thousand years? He's going to say, so... Did you ever try that surfing thing that I created the waves for? No, Lord. I was at the prayer meeting. Oh, yeah, now that's good. I'm glad you're at the prayer meeting. You didn't pray very well, but anyway, you know, but, but, but you never surfed? Isn't that cool? Really? We'll have to change that. Did you climb a mountain? Did you study some music? Did you, did you, study plants or something? And, and what about the balls, the games with balls in them? Did you, did you ever try one of those? Like, uh, th there's the leather ball that they run around kicking. No, I didn't do that. Oh, then you must have played with a little white ball because that are made for people who can't run fast. Oh, uh, hang on. You must have played rugby because I made that for the fat boys who can't play soccer. What, Lord? You, you came up with the idea of sports, of music, of studying the environment? Yes, he says, and I came up with miracles, signs, and wonders. How did that go for you? 
You thought that was serious business? That was was my scale of how to have a whole lot of fun. How to pray for the sick and see them healed. How to obey God when he says, give that little bit more and see that you can't outgive God. Because where there's a need, you put your seed. And it's not law. It's joy. It's giving with a joyful heart. We're allowed to have fun in our Christianity. We're allowed to be real. We can give ourselves opinion to go fishing. And like me, who's never caught a fish all night, and my son, who's never caught a fish all night, sorry, Rain, if you're watching this morning, apologize. And the Marats, hi, nice to have you in church. Anyway. And I'm fishing all night. I'm fishing all... Jesus, no, this is just not on. <laughs> you said to Peter, throw on the other side. How did that go for me? But you know what? I'm taking my grandson fishing this week. Well, I got like seriously excited about it. Because my son left all his fishing stuff behind and I thought, you know, I haven't fished. I think the last time I fished was at the bass farm, Dave, when we caught supper. So I told my grandson, you don't catch a fish, you're not eating. I had a tough when I was growing up. Uncle Dave, he said, you don't catch food, no supper. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I don't want to be on my deathbed one day and think, you know, I never took my grandson fishing once. Oh, Pastor Steve, you're now drifting into, into hedonism. You're drifting into self-centered, uh, self-preoccupation. Maybe you've got to give yourself permission. Hey, Marty. You love it when your husband irons your clothes when you go camping, eh? He's one in a million. Just hang on to him. Janet goes on her trips. I know she, we miss her like crazy. And, and I, I don't really like it that much. But her trip she's been on, the story she comes back with, the people she's met, the adventures she's had. I'm like, woman, get in line. Sit still and make tea. Be quiet. Put your hat on. Not really. I used to be like that. I've been delivered. You see, it can't come too fast. But that's my final point. I think I'm done. Want to walk with Jesus today? You can expect a whole lot of good things happening. Whatever you're facing, whatever disappointment's there, whatever's creating an emptiness, God can turn it around because there's nothing impossible for Him. You'll get to learn a whole lot of new things and you will make friends in the process because God's put people in your life to help you during difficult times. And you know what? While you're doing it, you're allowed to have fun. And you can even have more fun because you are a king's kid and he... Officially this morning, from your pastor, I'm writing a new commandment in the Bible. It's going to be, now you're going to see it gazetted and everything. It's going to be a new commandment. It's going to go to the gazette. It's going to, and it's going to be the 11th commandment. It's going to be, thou shalt have fun. Amen. Let's stand up.